When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, let's give thanks for another rivalry weekend about to be upon us here. What's it going to take to win a national championship? The college football playoff rankings once again came out last night. If you got in here and hung out with us as we did our live rankings reaction, we appreciate y'all being there. Gave you our thoughts on the rankings. I don't think there's too much to unpack within those, but what's it going to take to win a national title? We'll talk about that and a lot of other things on this beautiful Big picture Wednesday. It is November 22nd, 2023, the last one in history. So I'm begging you, let's make it the greatest one ever. Let's make it the greatest one this earth has ever seen. We're going to do that right now by talking some college football. Got a ton to unpack. As I mentioned, what's going to take to win a natty? We'll talk about that for some of these top contenders. Also, going to jump into a little bit of the, uh, the scenario season, if you will. Every single week, we've made a tradition now on this Wednesday show to go to the Twitter sphere or the X sphere, whatever you want to call it right now, and hear from y'all and say, okay, what do, we, what do we think could happen here? Heck, what are some scenarios that you want to talk about that we think the committee maybe would act in accordance with? What would they do if we get a two-loss champ from this conference, or if Bama beats Georgia as a one-loss SEC champ, or Tex loses again? Like, there, there's so many scenarios. Got a lot of great ones from y'all. Again, on my Twitter page, at Jody Pacquiao. Follow me there if you're not already. Got a lot of uh, scenarios from y'all. We'll unpack those here in just a few short minutes. We appreciate y'all adding into that. We prefaced the show telling you, hey, it's rivalry weekend. There is a lot of Thanksgiving in the air. There's also quite a bit of hatred in the air. I think rivalry is probably another form of, of love, but there's also some hate baked in there. Uh, what's the aftermath going to be of the game? Like Michigan, Ohio State, there has been more off-field storylines than I think any other game that I can remember in the modern college football era. What are this after? What is the potential aftermath for either outcome? So, if Ohio State wins, what are people going to say? If Michigan wins, what are people going to say? I think the uh, the aftermath there. I want to make sure we get a little bit ahead of it because there's going to be some overreactions, and I want to make sure we're all on the same page in guarding against that. Also, the Pulse the Program series rolling right along. We're going to make a stop this week in Athens, Georgia, and take a look at what's going on with the back-to-back -back national champs. If y'all saw that cinematic recap that that creative team at Georgia put out, dude, it was a movie. So, so good. If you haven't watched that, would recommend you go check that out uh, after you watch the show, of course. But gave us a little interesting peek into, I think, the internal feel at Georgia. So we'll give you our pulse as best we can tell there. Glad you're here. Very, very happy to have you a part of this show right now. Quick uh, scheduling note. A lot of shows will be off the air tomorrow. We are not one of them. Okay, we will have a show for you tomorrow, Thanksgiving morning, same time, same place. We'll premiere it. It'll be on this YouTube channel, 11 a.m. Eastern. It'll be in your podcast feed, all that. So just letting you know, uh, this is not canceled. This, this is not stopping. We are keeping on, keeping on. College football is the greatest thing ever. We only have so many weeks of it. So that means we only get so many shows in season. We're not going to take a bye week or a bye show with Thanksgiving. So, in fact, we're actually going to turn the, turn the volume up a little bit on that show. Got Andy Staples on the show, got Jake Olson on the show, the USC alum, who's the first Division I blind football player who long snapped for USC, a friend of ours who's on the show. So, make sure to dot in for that. We'll have our thoughts there and uh, we'll have a good time. Hey, before we get started here, uh, we got a, a new individual 
in the producer chair today. Man, the myth, the legend, Trey Entity. Trey, how you feeling, baby? I want, I want to give you a chance to say what's up to the people. I appreciate you stepping in here and pinch hitting as Nick Brake is, uh, is just in high demand these days, as, as a man of his stature is. Uh, what's going on, baby? How we feeling? I'm feeling great, JD. Thank you for having me on the program here. This is uh, not the debut, but this is one of the first times we've got to get on and chalk it up. So I'm excited, man. I'm thankful. Thankful for, you know, some more good football, like you said, rivalry weekend again this week. And, um, you know, ultimately, JD, I think I'm just thankful for uh, another poll. Yeah. To talk about uh, what are you thankful for this Thanksgiving week? Man, I'm thankful. I'm one. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the entire team here, from yourself to Nick Brake to everyone up in the office that that makes this show happen. I'm also thankful for everybody that that watches this show. And that sounds a little bit cliche, but like genuinely, I mean, you and I have a fair amount of uh, windshield time together as we're going from here to Columbus and here to Tuscaloosa, here to Knoxville, and so we, we've been on the road together a fair amount. And just the fact that we get to do this and we have this conversation a fair amount, we get to do this. And then at the end of the week, a paycheck hits like that. That in itself is the greatest heist of all time. So I'm extremely thankful for that and uh, thankful that we get to do it, uh, do it together, brother. So it's a good it's a good deal all around. Uh, Thanksgiving plans before we, before we get rolling here. Thanksgiving plans. You got any big ones? I'm going to be actually headed back to the uh, Palmetto State of South Carolina. Okay. Uh, we'll be going to the Palmetto Bowl, the rivalry game between Clemson and South Carolina on Saturday, I believe. Um, Boom. But, you know, going to go see the family, do all that. Uh, hopefully I can find the passion uh, of a guy like Connor Stallions this weekend as, you know, we watch some good Thanksgiving football as, as we have another program show for you tomorrow, like you said there as well. But, uh, yeah, man, going back to SC, what you got going on, J.D.? You know what? We'll be in Atlanta, a little bit of Thanksgiving with the family. Uh, sister just got married, so first Thanksgiving with her now husband. It'd be a good time. So, yeah, man, be a lot of, lot of ball to watch, but excited to jump into it, man. So, Trey, appreciate you producing the show, brother. And uh, we'll check back in with you here at the end of this deal. So y'all get your question and answers or get your questions into Trey Anity, and uh, we'll have some answers for you at the end of the show. Trey, you the man, brother. Let's have a great one. Yes, sir, Katie. You were the man. And let's get into it. Let's, well, let's uh, get right to let's it. Get some CFP talk going. Let's get right to it, baby. As Trey just mentioned, college football playoff rankings came out yet again last night. We already kind of reacted to them, but it sort of got me thinking a little bit here. With the way that this top six is situated, we can have a conversation around their path to the playoff, and I think it's all very fair to talk about, you know, if Oregon wins out, do they get in? I think they do. If Washington wins out, do they get in? I think they do. Like, I think that's kind of a conversation we've had for a while now, though. The way that I'm looking at this, all six of these teams control their own destiny. So here's the big question I want to ask here. What's it going to take to win a national title? Like, forget just getting to the dance. Forget being fourth in inches. I'm trying to go the distance, to quote Aubrey Graham. What's it going to take to win a national title? I want to go through these six teams here right now. First and foremost, though, make sure you subscribe to this channel. As you can tell, we talk college football every single day. You love ball. We love ball. We talk about it because it's our job, and we love it. So we're glad to have you here. So no extra additives, no, no high fructose corn syrup, as we say here a lot. Uh, it's ball and only ball, so make sure you're subscribed, and uh, we appreciate you all being a part of this. So... The committee has Oregon at six. We've talked about why they're at six. We don't need to unpack that too much. They're a top four caliber team. If they handle business and win out, they will be in the playoff. But how does Oregon win a national title? I think Oregon wins a national championship if they are as good as advertised. Because what I think that means is what we've seen from them on the line of scrimmage has been nothing short of phenomenal. They're top five in the country in terms of yards per carry on offense. They're top 10 in the country in terms of yards allowed on the ground per game and what it's going to take for Oregon to win a national championship more than likely means you got to go through a line of scrimmage team like a Georgia like a Michigan like an Ohio State 
And so I think they have the chops to do that. And we, we've seen it multiple times where they've looked phenomenal on the line of scrimmage against teams like a Utah. Heck, they looked great on the line of scrimmage against a team like Washington, even though they lost that game. But the question is, how do they stack up when they play one of those elite line of scrimmage teams? I think we've seen them be tremendous. We've, been, we've seen them be advertised as tremendous, but will they be as good as advertised? That's the big question. Because from where I'm sitting, the way they're advertised is a Big Ten football team in the trenches. I don't think that's false advertising, just so we're clear. And then you have one of the best quarterbacks in the country in Bo Nix who may end up winning the Heisman Trophy. So for them, just be as good as advertised. I think that's how Oregon gets it done. My worry for them now when it comes to what could keep it from a college football national championship in that playoff, uh, how does their secondary match up if they run into Washington yet again? Now, we'll probably see that when it comes to the Pac-12 championship game, so maybe this is sort of a moot point as a whole. But the secondary playing one of those elite perimeter teams, if they ran into uh, Ohio State and had to play Marvin Harrison Jr. or Roma Dunze yet again in that Pac-12 title spot, I just I wonder how Oregon would be able to shape up in that sense not that they're bad by any stretch but just you have to be elite in every facet to win a national title in my opinion at least or in most most facets to win a national title that's my question mark for for Oregon now number five you got Florida State and I mean the the whole ranking with them is I think it's fair I don't think we're dropping them because of Jordan Travis being hurt like we said last night I think Washington and their eye test and their resume now put them ahead of Florida State so Florida State handle business you're in the dance Florida State wins a national championship if they can bottle up a little bit of that 2014 Ohio State juice. Because remember, that was a team where it wasn't just the backup quarterback. You went to the backup backup quarterback in Cardale Jones, 12-gauge himself, and they just had a magical run. And, I mean, he ended up just being the, the greatest, most pleasant surprise in Ohio State Buckeye history, being the man at quarterback. So, obviously now, Florida State going from Jordan Travis to Tate Rodemaker. He's thrust into action with the injury of, of their guy, Jordan Travis. Need to be able to not just be serviceable, but be like Cardell Jones good. Now, I'm not saying you have to play the same kind of style Cardell Jones played where you're running around and throwing your body into people, but I am saying the offense has to stay at the same level, if not elevate from where they are right now. Now, a big part of that run for Ohio State. Yes, Cardell Jones came in and got buckets. That's all true. But I think the potentially more important part of this for Florida State is Trey Benson, their running back, has to be what Zeke Elliott was to that Ohio State offense. Because remember, I mean, Zeke had like a historic run in that playoff. From the, from the Alabama game to the Oregon game, I believe he was over 200 yards. I want to say in both games, but definitely in the Alabama game. I think it's going to take an effort like that from Trey Benson to lean on him, to be able to make this offense more explosive, and to kind of have him come into that mode to make them dangerous. Because the question, or I guess the worry would be the inconsistency we've seen at times from Florida State. The response mechanism, I think, is one of the best in the country. The concern is we've had to see that response mechanism a fair amount. So for Florida State, I really do think there's there's that blueprint laid out of, okay, your quarterback and your backup quarterback. We, we've seen it done before. We've seen a backup quarterback come in here and lead a team to a national championship, but a big part of it will take a heavy dose of production in the run game. Now, at number four, you got Washington. And the thing for them, man, like when they get in gear, like all y'all that have, that have played like Super Smash Bros or Mario Kart or any of those Nintendo games, when, when they get that star power going, they're untouchable. When they're in their zone, there is arguably nobody better in the country. Because when they have Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan all healthy and, and all operating at an elite level, and you have Michael Penix Jr. just dealing the mail like FedEx, like they are in really, really good shape. And the reason why I say that is 
the way this offense is built, it demands a lot of you physically to execute. But when you're executing, I think it's borderline unstoppable because of how wide those splits are. It creates a lot of one-on-one -on -one matchups and how many guys they have that can beat you one-on-one. Roma Dunze, uh, most specifically, and probably most emphatically, like when they're in the zone, I think all bets are off. Now, the worry for them would be, okay, well, the offense maybe has a day where they're not 100% on the money. And they've had days like that. Don't get it twisted. We've seen them win ugly. But the concern would be you would have a day like that against an elite-level team. So, like, the question for me is, what happens if they play one of those elite game control teams? And I'm talking about an Ohio State, which, which is what they've been as of late, uh, a Michigan, a Georgia, a team that's just going to say, you know what, we're going to run the football at you. And they're one of the best teams running the football in the country, one of those teams, and they control the game. That would be my concern. Now, again, if they're on, they're on. That's their path to a national title. I'm saying it right now. They could win a national title, but it would take something like that in my mind. Now, at three, you got Michigan. Two things have to happen for Michigan to win a national title. I got two, uh, two ifs. The first is if they're still the bully on the block. Okay. Second, if that offense and the next evolution in the passing game is real. So we'll start with that first one. Michigan, a season ago, was running for right around 240 yards a game. Like there was no wondering, guessing, thinking, are they, are they not? They were the bully, period, mic drop, the end, with that kind of rushing number. Now, right now, they're running for 171 yards a game. To be clear, that's still really good. There is a lot of schools across the country that would trade their punt team unit for that kind of rushing number. Okay, but we understand 240 versus 170. That's a pretty big disparity. And it's not a question of can they to me. It's a, it's a matter of will they slash? Is that something they can do against elite competition? Okay, so if they're still that bully on the block, that's kind of been their identity and, and their takeover button, if you will. If they still have that, they're going to be a, a very difficult out because I think they'll lean into that a little bit more than we saw them do last year. Now, the other part of this, like I said, if the evolution of the pass game that we've seen to this point be effective if that's real and I don't mean is it real in terms of can JJ McCarthy make those throws I'm asking can they do that consistently in the big spots because that was sort of the thought process all off season was well if JJ McCarthy can push the ball downfield a little bit more like I don't know how you defend Michigan because you can't play them with a light box or even an honest box and expect to stop the run and then feel good about what you have behind them if JJ McCarthy is dealing and the thing with them right now is like the reason why I ask if it's real is because we've seen it. Like J.J. McCarthy a season ago in the regular season threw for over 250 yards twice. So far, he's done it four times. Okay, so there's a very, very clearly another step, at least philosophically for this offense, to push the ball downfield. But what happens when they play the Ohio States? What happens when they play the Georges? I'm excited to see it. We'll get to see it this Saturday, but that has to be a reality for them because if they end up being one-dimensional, I don't think you can be one-dimensional against a team like a Georgia. Heck, this weekend, like an Ohio State, I don't think that's something you can have in the cards. So, for Michigan, those are the questions we have, and that's what it's going to take to win a national title. Now, team that we're going to see them play this weekend, Ohio State's at two. No issue with the ranking here because they're going to figure out that number two and number three spot there, but what I think it takes for them to win a national title is I think what most people would, would say at this point in time, if Kyle McCord can be 10 to 15% more dynamic because he's been really efficient, I think he's done everything that he's been asked to do as the guy at Ohio State. But we're getting to this point in the season where 
you have to do more than what's asked of you. Because what's asked of you is to play 12 games and to you know win, win every single one of them, but to beat elite-level competition, to beat a Michigan, to beat a Georgia, to win a national title, I don't think you can have just a, a guy who does his job. I think winning the national title requires everyone to do more than just their job. Okay, so when, when I talk about Kyle McCord, I don't have a ton of extra things to say about Ohio State because the roster itself is built to win a national title. Like defense has totally reinvented themselves in my mind in regards to being so much more comfortable in this scheme under Jim Knowles. They're allowing, I think it's, if it's not single digits, it's very close to single digit points per a game. They might be somewhere in the range of like 10 at this point. Like they are built to win a national title on the defensive side of the ball. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best player in college football. If you have a quarterback that can unlock all of that talent on the perimeter to the nth degree, like unlock it to, to the you know boss level, at that point, Ohio State has no weaknesses. So he's got a tremendous stat line right now. I mean, top 10 in QBR, but it's going to take, take more than just efficiency to beat Georgia from where I'm sitting. Now, speaking of Georgia, we've been extremely high on Georgia all season long. We make no apologies for it. I think they're the best team in the country. I think they've been the best team in the country the last couple of weeks. What I think it's going to take for them to win a national title is, one, staying healthy. We've seen them have some injuries, whether it's Ladd McConkey week in and week out, Brock Bowers just now getting back in the lineup, and you kind of held your breath a little bit when you saw him limping at times against Tennessee. And so that's obviously, you know, the price of admission. But the other part of this is there are some really new pieces for Georgia. Like, they were 80th in the country in terms of returning production coming into this season. And we'll talk about Georgia and the Pulse, the program here a little bit later in the show. But we understand now, like, the key for Georgia a season ago, kind of their their ace up the sleeve, was they had some really, really elite experience at some really important spots. Like Stetson Bennett, all the jokes made about how long he was in college, make him if you want to, dude dude was never, ever flustered or, or never looked like he wasn't the epitome of composure playing quarterback for them. Same thing with Todd Munkin. Like, they had been in those spots together before. Now, new quarterback, new OC. They're somewhere in the range of, I think they're like just over uh, 50% or so return to production from last season. I understand a lot of these guys now have played a lot of ball together. You're expecting the, the new pieces to not play like new pieces. But in the spots Georgia would have to be in to win a national title, we're talking, obviously, the SEC championship. We're talking college football playoff game. We're talking national title. All three of those, very bright lights, very good competition. Is there any breaking in segment for Georgia when it comes to those kind of games? Because the one knock you probably have on Georgia at this point in time is the slow starts. Like first play of the game, Tennessee, they're ripping off a big touchdown. Auburn, they give Georgia trouble for the majority of the game. South Carolina, they're up at half. Like, And understand parts of those were different early in the year. I think it's a different Georgia team than what they were against South Carolina and Auburn. But just so we're all clear, there cannot be any more letdown quarters for Georgia. And I think you're seeing some of that with the new production that is you know, now present in Athens. But what you didn't have from last year, like there are guys here I think that are still totally trying to get completely settled, which isn't you know wrong. It's, it's not a thing we got to necessarily be super upset at Georgia for, but I am just saying now it is go time. You can't have a letdown quarter against Bama. Can't have a letdown quarter against Ohio State, Michigan, so on and so forth. So for Georgia, that's the big piece for me is can they stay healthy and can those new pieces totally settle in and keep from any letdown quarters? So I'm excited to see it, but that's what's going to take for those top six teams to win a national title. To be clear, I think all of them control their own destiny when it comes to their college football playoff aspirations. All right, speaking of aspirations, man, we got some big ones here. Got some big ones here and uh 
some big ones when it comes to prize picks. So I want to get Trey Entity's thoughts here in just a second on a on our uh, national title hinge points, if you will. But let's move into the prize pick segment here and let y'all know prize picks bringing y'all the hard count today. Tremendous, tremendous opportunity this rivalry weekend. Gonna rally the gonna circle the wagons, rally the troops, whatever you want to say. I I sat here on Tuesday and I told y'all we let y'all down last couple of weeks, and we're not running from it. We're not hiding from it. You hear coaches at post game press conference. You know, they blame NIL, they blame support, they blame their roster. We're not doing that here. We're not running from it. We've let y'all down the last couple of weeks. So if you want to trust history, fade us. That's fine. Those that are in the foxhole, though, we're going to circle the wagons. Like I said, we're going to burn the boats. We're going to lock the gates. And uh, nobody's safe. All right? To quote Kirby Smart, nobody's safe this week. We got prize picks. Uh, again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match. For those of y'all wondering what prize picks is, daily fantasy. You put together different squares of certain things a player may do in a game or different combinations like we'll talk about here. And you have a number there, the more, the less, whatever they do, string those together and it'll make more sense if we explain it here. So the squares that we have for this weekend, we got a little combo, right? A little combo here for our first square of Bo Nix and JJ McCarthy passing, rushing, receiving touchdowns together. The number is at four and a half. You know how we feel about this here. We like to see good things happen to good people. Both those individuals, we deem to be good people. Let's take the more there, baby, okay? So Oregon playing Oregon State. Obviously, Michigan playing Ohio State. I think they can together account for that number. Now, last time we took a combo like this, Bo Nix just accounted for like six touchdowns, so he kind of got it by himself. But we'll take the more there, so go ahead and play that one. Next square, we like KJ Jefferson and Quinn Ewers. So a big combo week for the show now. Keep an eye on this. KJ Jefferson, Quinn Ewers combining for a passing, rushing, receiving touchdown at four. We like the more there as well. Quinn Ewers kind of getting more comfortable. KJ Jefferson going to play for his head coach now, last week of the season. I'm excited to watch that one. We'll take the more there again. Good things, good people. Let's ride with it. Jalen Milrow, his number is half a rushing touchdown against Auburn. Y'all, weird things happen in this game. You may need Jalen Milrow to run for a touchdown in this game. We'll take the more there. So, we like the more on all those plays. Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy, four and a half total touchdowns. Uh, K.J. Jefferson, Quinn Ewers, four total touchdowns. Jalen Milrow, rushing touchdown. Again, that's just a more special, okay? We're rolling with the more this week. We took a less last week. Never again. Rolling with the more this week. Now, if you want to power play this, be our guest. You would make 5X your entry. We're going to flex play it. So that means if all three of these hit, and we expect them to, we would make 2.25 times our entry. Now, if two out of three hit, Oh, darn, we don't get anything, right? No, 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 wrong. If two out of three of these hit, we'll take 1.25x our entry. So bottom line, don't need all three to hit to make some money. Fade or follow. If you want to fade, be our guest. Be our guest. Just I'm just saying, we're, if, you, if you don't like us at our 0 for 2, 0 for 3, whatever we are the last couple of weeks, you don't deserve us when we uh, go jackpot mode here the next couple of weeks. So again, sh a big shout out to Prize Picks making this happen for the show and uh, for bringing y'all the hard count today. So we... Appreciate prize picks and appreciate y'all being dialed in. A great way to support the show. Again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. You and the cousins hanging out, watching some ball this weekend. Very, very important. I say this too. Tack on to that. Christian McCaffrey, half a rushing yard is the special right now for prize picks. So throw that in there. Make it a, make it a flex play with all four of those picks and you're in good shape. Okay, so that's very, very important. Christian McCaffrey, half a rushing yard. It's not college football. Doesn't matter. 
Probably should have won a Heisman when he was at Stanford. Beside the point, half a rushing yard. Uh, that is essentially theft, but we'll take it, add it onto our flex play, and the good times will keep on rolling. So we appreciate prize picks. Again, redeem code JD, 100% deposit match. Great way to support the show. So we're about to get into these playoff scenarios here in just a second. But I want to chop it up with our guy, Trey Anity, because we got a we got a different format of the show today. We're just kind of just guys talking ball, just guys chopping it up. Trey, uh, I want to throw back to our segment we were just in right there. This is uh, not something I told you I was going to ask you. Of those six teams, who would you say is maybe the most sneaky college football playoff national championship guy? You know, sneaky is an interesting word, J.D., because I think Oregon on the surface is that team. I mean, this is a one-loss team that probably has the most talented roster in the Pac-12 that, you know, could be undefeated if it was a couple plays different in Washington. But I think Washington is actually that sneaky team because as weird as it sounds, them winning that game, they now fly under the radar. People, you know, don't talk about their playoff path as much or, you know, what it's going to take or, you know, trying to justify the ways that they can get into the playoff or the ways that they can, you know, make it to the national title, win the national title. I think for Oregon, you're hearing a lot more of that conversation because they're on the bubble in Washington at this point, you know, is all but in uh, to this year's playoff. Um, but, you know, J.D., I think at the top as well, it's, it's difficult because we've seen so much inconsistency from the two Big Ten schools. And for Michigan, I don't think that was the case up until this past week. And for Ohio yeah. State, you know, they've started to, to kind of reflect, uh, you know, what Michigan was at the beginning of the season. And they've been the pillar of consistency here. So, um, you know, if they're sneaking us somewhere in there, I'd say maybe... You know, Ohio State continues to be that team just because they're a little bit uh, having a little bit more of a quiet season, I guess, without the headlines of the sign ceiling scandal and, you know, having um, a bit more of an easy run here. They were the number one team in this playoff poll at one point and now have kind of, you know, slid back and taken that back seat in a sense. So, uh, you know, sneaky stuff, um, but I'd say probably Washington is a team I'm circling first. J.D., I know. You know, maybe you were on that Oregon bandwagon to start the year. Is that still the case? 100%. Who, yeah, I'm still very firmly on the bandwagon. But, like, as we get closer and closer to it, it's never good to be on a crowded bandwagon. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's never good when you're riding through the fields and you're going over, you know, the terrain and you feel like maybe the bandwagon is taking a little bit more strain than you would like it to. Like, we were pretty early on on the, on the Oregon bandwagon. But as it gets more crowded, I'm like, hey, are we on the right, are we on the right vehicle? Because that, cool. that Washington bandwagon is moving pretty quickly and there's not as many people on it, sometimes that's the bandwagon you want to be on. You know what I'm saying? 100%. Um, and you were. You know, you got to give you credit here, J.D. You were one of the first on <laughs> well, that we'll bandwagon. Well, we'll see if we deserve credit or not, I guess, well, here in a couple of weeks or maybe even this weekend. Fully intact at that point. Um, I'm with you. It's getting a little heavy on that bandwagon. Um, but, you know, you bought stock early, like Dabo Sweeney said a few weeks ago. Buy stock there now. Uh, if you want to tie it back to the prize picks, I know it's been a, a couple rough weeks, but uh, yep. buy stock in these prize picks and, um, you know, maybe buy stock in another one of those Pac-12 schools, Washington now, instead of Oregon, because it is a full bandwagon. The boys are uh, rolling. J.D., what were your thoughts on the, the two Big Ten schools there in the top three of these rankings? You know, I don't have any. It's so funny because we have so much, like, I don't want to say fake outrage, but the outrage itself to me is so funny when we're about to play the biggest game of the season between Michigan and Ohio State. And you have people saying, well, why is Oregon so high? Why is Michigan so high? And it's like, are we really going to say they're not a top four team? And if they beat Ohio State, is that a conversation we're having either way? Like if Michigan were number seven this week and Ohio State were number two, if Michigan beat Ohio State, are they not still in the top four? Are we not kind of still saying the same thing about them? You know what I mean? So, I mean, that the whole, the whole outrage around where they're ranked this week is funny because it's all going to eventually play itself out. 
You know what I mean? What's the criteria there, J.D.? I mean, this is a conversation I think we've mm. had since that first poll. You know, is it resume? Are they freezing wins, truly? In your opinion, after seeing what is now a fourth poll, what is the criteria that this committee is going about it with? I think it's sliding. And I think you and I talked about this in the hallway the other day, which, was, I mean, which is where all of the best conversations happen. Yes. Uh, it feels like the committee is getting into the room and saying, hey, what do we think this weekend? As opposed to saying, okay, here's our formula. Everybody refer to this whiteboard here. We weight resume this much. We weight uh, eye test this much. And then going forward, we're going to kind of weight these wins accordingly. Like it feels like every single week, eye test has more and more juice to it, which we'll get to here in just a second, talking about these, uh, these playoff scenarios. But I, I'm with you. The consistency isn't so much there, but it's one of those things where it's like, hey, these, these are the new rules of the game. And so whether we agree or not, this is the, the criteria we're trying to get our mind around or the lack thereof. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely inconsistent. Well, we got to get back to the show, uh, but I just got one more question for I love you it. here. I know you're traditionalist, J.D., would you prefer this ambiguous, difficult to understand formula with the committees going about it, or, or so it seems, or you know, would you prefer something a little bit closer to, to what we had with the BCS yeah. computer system era, whatever you want to call it? That is one, that's a great question for the chat too. So if, you, if you're in the chat right now, you like the computer BCS system or you, you like the committee, because there's, some, there's something to be said for you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. You don't, you, you don't know, you don't know the good days until, until you've left them. I would say I actually appreciate the, the human element because while there's probably a wider margin for the human element to be wrong, I think there's also just as much margin for us to course correct. Now, to this point, I know we get, we say this a lot, but like we get to the, the selection Sunday and the BCS and the committee, I think are yet to disagree on that final four, at least. I don't know if it stretches past the final four, but We'll see. This might be the this might be the year where they disagree. So, we'll see here, Big Trey. We'll see. That's hey, that's the man, Treyanity. Just bringing it. How about how about some of the bars he was dropping? Pillar of consistency. I'm adding that to, to that to the uh, the vocabulary. I'm gonna have to write that one down and make that a, a buzzword for me going forward. You know what I'm saying? Well, I certainly can't take credit for that one. <laughs> uh, and you know, I learned from the best here, JD. So I don't know about that, man. To. Hey, I appreciate, I appreciate you. It. I appreciate you, Treyanity. Again, get those questions in here. About to answer those in just a few short minutes. Uh, but before we do that, it's Big Picture Wednesday. And every Big Picture Wednesday here, we break down the playoff scenarios. Not just the playoff scenarios that we want to talk about. We go to the Twitter sphere. We go to the X sphere, whatever you want to talk about. And we say, hey, what is your most intriguing college football playoff scenario? Because it changes week to week now. As we get more data each weekend, people lose, people win. We kind of get more clarity. But we got three different scenarios I want to talk about right now. And the first one coming from our man, CF Budge, CFB Budge. And this is a friend of the show sent us a magazine in the offseason for their own uh, preseason preview, which was phenomenal. So check him out already if you haven't on socials. But his scenario I thought was interesting. He says we got an undefeated Florida State from the ACC. You got Ohio State as your Big Ten champ. And you got Washington as your Big Ten champ. So three undefeated champions from those three conferences. Then he says we got a one-loss Big 12 champ and a one-loss SEC champ in Alabama. I'm assuming they were beating Georgia. So the question here that he asks is, does the committee respect head to head now what i think would happen here if all things were to be even if we don't see some drastic data point like bama blows out georgia or 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 texas you know blows out whoever they play in the big 12 title game or whatever like if we don't see anything drastic on the data points and we kind of see it stay fairly steady across the board i think texas would be in now have they looked as dominant as we saw week two in tuscaloosa not necessarily but I do think you have to say, hey, the resume is what the resume is. That head-to-head -head winning double digits 
in Tuscaloosa, like you have to respect that. Okay, so I think they would respect that. Now, again, going back to that caveat, the eye test is going to matter here. So the reason why I think it's going to matter here, because as much as we've said about the inconsistency of the committee, they have told us they care about the eye test a lot. And the reason we know that is Georgia was up to number one two weeks ago, jumping over Ohio State when Ohio State still, in my opinion, had an arguably better resume. Oregon, the highest one-loss team, or the highest-ranked one-loss team right now in the country at number six. Their resume, I don't think, is quite as good as an Alabama or as good as a Texas, but the eye test, they care about that with Oregon. Michigan at number three, they have one ranked win, the eye test. So the eye test matters a lot to this committee. And so if Alabama were to put something on, you know, on tape and show the committee, hey, we are emphatically a top four team. And that would look like, again, a top 10, or excuse me, a 10 point or more margin of victory over over Georgia in Atlanta. And let's say Texas kind of looks shaky against Texas Tech. They win by a score. Kind of looks shaky in the Big 12 title game. They win by a score. If we find ourselves in that situation with a convincing Bama win over Georgia and Texas not really earning too many style points, at that point in time, I think Bama would jump Texas. Now, is it fair? I don't know about that, but I think that's what would happen. So in that scenario, again, all things even, I think you respect head-to-head. But if you get something drastic here, if I, I, I cannot get out of my mind the scenario where Alabama somehow convincingly beats Georgia in Atlanta, and that's the last thing you tell the committee before they make the decision on Selection Sunday. Like that, that snapshot, I think, would matter a lot to the committee by nature of what we've seen matters to the committee to this point. And I think it'd be hard for them to, to just kind of turn a blind eye to that and look back to week two. Recency bias, again, whether it's fair or not, I think it matters to these folks. All right, now scenario two from our guy, Liam Neighbors. We spent probably about a half page of notes here. I felt like I was doing long division, trying to figure this one out. Liam Neighbors has said, Oregon State beats Oregon this weekend, but Oregon still plays for a Pac-12 championship. So we're assuming in this situation, Arizona ends up losing. So Oregon, they still find themselves in Vegas, playing Washington, and then Oregon beats Washington as a two-loss Pac-12 champ, is what we have in that, in that conference from Oregon. And then he says, Texas, they catch a second loss somewhere along the way. So let's just say, for instance, Texas loses to Texas Tech this weekend. I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying, for the sake of this conversation, the Big 12 then, somehow, way, has a multiple-loss Big 12 champ. Okay, so if you're keeping track now, Pac-12, two-loss champ, Big 12, multiple-loss champ as well. And then he says you have Alabama winning the SEC with one loss. So we're assuming there they beat Georgia. Not assuming. We know that that's the matchup we got there. So they're a one-loss champ over Georgia, meaning they beat Auburn this weekend. So you have a one-loss SEC champ in Bama, multiple-loss Big 12 champ, and Oregon is your two-loss Pac-12 champ. Now that's all he gives us in this scenario. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that we get an undefeated Florida State and we get an undefeated Ohio State or an undefeated Michigan as our Big Ten champion. All right? So just kind of keep that neat and tidy. Who gets in? All right, let's kind of stretch here a little bit and really put on the thinking cap. Uh, the Big Ten champion, obviously, you're in. The ACC champ, obviously, undefeated Florida State, you're in. I think a one-loss SEC champ, Alabama, I think you're in. I think from what we've seen from the committee over the last couple of years, I understand it's a different committee, but just from what we know about the college football playoff, no two-loss team has ever made it. So Oregon, two-loss champ, I think they're out. Uh a multiple loss Big 12 champ, I think they're out. So then to choose from for that fourth spot, 
we have to pick from three one-loss non-conference champions. All right, so that's a one-loss non-conference champion Washington, a one-loss non-conference champion Georgia, and a one-loss non-conference champion didn't even play for their conference championship, actually, Ohio State. How do we pick this? How do we decide? Well, I think for this point, got to go resume and eye test. The two things that matter to the committee, what does the resume say? When it comes to Washington, they have four ranked wins. Okay, four ranked wins, one of those being in the top 10 over Oregon. Georgia would have four ranked wins, one of those being in the top 10 over Ole Miss. Ohio State, they don't have as many ranked wins, but they do have two top 10 wins, one of which being on the road against Notre Dame, one of which being at home against Penn State. And then arguably, they have the best loss of this whole group, being to a top three Michigan. Okay, now you say they didn't play for the Big Ten Championship. Uh, okay, I understand. But still, that, that resume, I think, still holds some weight. Like, I don't think the two top 10 wins is a drastic drop-off from the four ranked wins those other teams have. So, where does that leave us? When I look at these resumes, I think you can make an argument for all of them. We just made the argument for Ohio State. Those two top 10 wins should hold a ton of weight. Their loss should hold a ton of weight. They have the best loss of this whole group. Georgia, Washington, the same amount of ranked wins. They both have a top 10 loss in this case. Like, they both played for the conference championship. So what I think you would do then is you look to the eye test. And the eye test is hard to quantify based on the fact that these games haven't actually happened yet. So it would be something to, to guess at, I suppose, at how those games would turn out. But again, going back to what we know already about the committee. The committee is telling us right now they really value the way that Georgia has looked to this point in the season. And if we find ourselves in this scenario, I think Georgia as a one-loss non-conference champion, depending on how that loss looks to Alabama, I think they'd be the team that gets in. Now, you could go down the rabbit hole and say, well, if Ohio State gets blown out by Michigan and Georgia gets blown out by Alabama and Washington loses by three to Oregon, maybe they find their way in. But again, I'm going back to chalk kind of holding here and assuming they all lose by a touchdown to whoever their, their losses to, Washington to Oregon, Ohio State to Michigan, and Georgia's to Bama. If it's a one loss or a one touchdown loss across the board, I think Georgia, and honestly, let's just let's just be real here. The good faith that I think that the Georgia brand has, right or wrong with the committee, I think we see a little Georgia bump and we find them as that fourth team in that scenario. So things are getting weird right now in this playoff scenario segment. And we got one more for you, but I appreciate y'all that have already submitted some scenarios. If you haven't yet, go ahead and do that. We'll get to those next week at this time and we'll have ourselves a good time breaking it down last one here and this and this scenario got its own page like i mean we just we did a full-on break it down i feel like again i felt like i was solving a math problem as we go through these justin armstrong like some men they just want to watch the world burn and justin is one of those guys he hit us up and said okay here's the deal bama one lost conference champ a lot of these involve bama i don't think that's coincidental because that is really the the chaos block that could set this whole thing off one lost conference champ alabama from the SEC. Louisville, a one-loss conference champ from the ACC. Okay, so they beat Florida State in the conference title game. Here's where it gets real crazy. My man Justin says Iowa wins the Big Ten. So they beat an undefeated, let's say, a Michigan or Ohio State. We'll get to that here in a second. Then Oregon, he kept this neat and tidy for us, so thank you, Justin. Oregon's a one-loss conference champ from the Pac-12. And then similar to our last scenario, he has Texas somehow dropping a game here and the Big 12 champ being a multiple loss team. So you got a multiple loss Big 10 champ, a multiple loss Big 12 champ, 
And then you got Louisville out of the ACC as a one-loss conference champ. So let's just break this down the best we can. I think Oregon, again, based on what the committee has told us to this point, they like them on the eye test. I think with the resume and freezing their wins with a ranked win, say what you want about Colorado. They were top 20 at the time. Say what you want about Utah. They were top 20 at the time as well, and they beat them on the road. That probably helps the resume. Obviously, if they beat Washington, that boosts the resume even more. I don't see a way where you leave them out in this scenario. Alabama, if you beat the number one team in the country in Georgia, in this scenario, you're in. Okay, so those two are locked. So who's left? A one-loss non-conference champion, Michigan or Ohio State. Ohio State has the best resume there for the Big Ten, so we'll talk about that here in a second. A one-loss non-conference champion, Georgia, and a one-loss conference champ, Louisville. I think those are the teams that you pick from. You also, I guess, have a one-loss non-conference champ, Washington. I would take a one-loss Michigan or Ohio State, and we'll talk about that in a second here. Like I said, I'll take those teams' eye test and resume over what Washington's done to this point. So, I think Louisville, like here's here's my thing. The committee, every single year, regardless of who's a part of it, the college football playoff values conference championships. If Louisville, if, if Louisville wins the ACC with one loss and they're a Power 5 one-loss conference champ, there would be riots in Louisville, Kentucky if they don't find their way into the, conference, into the college football playoff. Like I, I think that would just go against everything that we've known about this college football playoff structure if you leave a one-loss Louisville out of the dance. Now, I understand we're going to have a conversation here about eye test versus resume because Ohio State, Georgia, Michigan, all three of those teams probably are better than Louisville, just to be real. If they were to play tomorrow, I think you'd probably take Georgia or you take Ohio State or you take Louisville or excuse me, or you take Michigan over Louisville. So that leaves us with Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. I think Ohio State has a better resume than Michigan at this point in time. Um, let's just call it for the sake of, of tidiness for this conversation. Let's say Ohio State is the team that makes it to the Big Ten championship game with one loss. Ohio State's resume would then be three top 10 wins, Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan. Georgia, they've got a really solid resume. They would have, I think, four ranked wins at this point, one top 10 win, but the resume and the eye test for Ohio State, assuming they beat Michigan, would make them that last team to get in. Now, going back to this, that would be Oregon, Bama, Louisville, Ohio State in that predicament with those four. If you're pushing back on Louisville, I understand, because we will find out now, if we get this scenario, how much you want to value eye test over resume. Because eye test, far and away, Georgia would get in over Louisville. Resume, the conference champion thing, I think would ultimately be the one that keeps them in. So those are the playoff scenarios that y'all brought to us, and we appreciate y'all doing so. We want to unpack this every single week on Big Picture Wednesday. So get those in via Twitter. I mean, you can Instagram those. DM me to me as well, at Judy Piquel. But let me know what y'all think about these different playoff scenarios. Uh, it gets weird. It's going to get weirder here as we get through this rivalry weekend. But it feels like every single selection Sunday... We sit down, we know what to expect, and we get what we expect when it comes to those top four. So that's, that's uh, how we think those scenarios will play out. But a lot of weird, a lot of weird ahead of us and a lot of weird, I'm sure, that we're going to have to talk about here going forward, especially after this weekend. Trey, any objections to any of those? I know we, we were just doing like out loud long division. Any, any objections to the way that that whole thing was shaping up? I mean, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Anything you want to talk about there? 
Ah, you know, I think it's all uh, extremely accurate there, but I think I'm with the good citizens of Louisville, Kentucky here, and I think that if they were to go win this ACC title, they probably do get left out, and I think that's a travesty. This is mm. a team I got to watch a few weeks ago. This is a college football playoff-deserving team. I know they struggled, you know, against Virginia, and you worry about, you know, Jack Plummer's status, uh, if he's able to have that, that takeover moment mm. against a team like Florida State. Uh, you know, if they were to go on and make the playoff, if they could have any success there. Um, but I, I like that Louisville highlight. I think that's uh, that's a team that is starting to get their credit, but maybe hasn't gotten enough of that to this point. J.D., you brought up eye test versus resume. Mm. What is more important to you? I mean, is the eye test, in your opinion, we saw Florida State play Clemson this year. We saw Texas beat Alabama. We went up yeah. to Ohio State, saw them defeat Penn State. You've seen these teams in person, but you also know the resumes of an Oregon, of a Washington, of a Louisville. What's more important to you? That's a great question. I think on Selection Sunday, the eye test needs to be the differentiator because th there's something to be said for controlling what you can control. And like Michigan, the resume they have, some of it's their fault from years ago and not scheduling the right pieces. Some of it's like, hey, man, like we, we just don't have other teams in the Big Ten holding their end of the bargain. We'd love to play a ranked Indiana. We'd love to play a ranked Nebraska. And I'm sure those teams love to be ranked as well. But so I think the resume itself is a little bit dependent on the rest of your conference. And that's why we're talking about Texas right now being potentially on the outside looking in, and they're a number seven team in the country. And it's like, well, hey, the Big 12, nobody else has really held up there into the deal to help us get a little bit more juice to push up to this, uh, this college football playoff conversation. So I think it's fair to be upset about resumes 110%. That's why they play the games. That's why college football is what it is. But I would also say... The, the eye test is something where you control the controllables and we get a better gauge for, you know, what would make a good college football playoff, which, which isn't the point of it. It's not to be a product, but I do think when you're assessing what are the best four teams, eye test has to be heavily factored in. Yeah, and you said, I mean, it's not necessarily about the product or the matchup, but, mm -hmm. you know, typically even in a year where Cincinnati makes the playoff, their quarterback Desmond Ritter is going to, He's going to sell tickets, you know, he's yeah. going to put eyeballs on that game. So I think there is a star power element to it, if nothing else. And, you know, we got a game to talk about here. Some might call it the game. But, uh, J.D., before we move on, Florida State. Yeah. What are your thoughts there? We talk about Florida State, I think, you know, at the office more than any other team that's been in the top four in these rankings. Team without a quarterback now. A team that had struggles before that, though. Where are you at on Florida State right now? Yeah, I think the, the reason we're talking about them, too, is just – how much variance it seems like they have week to week. And you would imagine that will probably become more and more of a, of a talking point as we get into this backup quarterback situation with Rotomaker. I think the thing with Florida State is, similar to what we just said with the eye test and the resume, the great part about Florida State is they don't have to worry about resume and eye test if they can, if they can just go undefeated. So I guess maybe they do worry about resume. But I guess what I'm saying is, as long as you have that zero in the loss column, you kind of just turn the volume down on every other conversation. Like, hey, at this point, there's nothing you can say. Whether like it's kind of the same thing with Cincinnati. Like, they were in the dance, they were undefeated, they had a, a resume that was strong enough to get them in. But you know, men lie, women lie, but zero losses in the in that L column. You know, I don't lie to you. So I think that's kind of the thing to watch for Florida State. Obviously, is, is if they can get there unscathed. Now, the situation could be curious is if they do catch an L before the ACC title game. So this week against Florida. How does that resume look? Then, then you have to start talking about the resume and say, well, I guess the, the win against Duke was nice. The, the LSU win was nice. But, you know, I think that, that would make me very, very nervous if I'm a Seminole fan. Like you said, too, like no Jordan Travis. Does that impact the way the committee feels about them? It shouldn't, but does it? Like it's a whole new group. So I'm curious, Trey. I'm curious. 
I want to hear, uh, you know, what the comments got to say about this one, too, mm. here. Because this is the last 14 playoff we get, J.D. I mean, this is, you know, truly a, a struggle to get to, to play playoff games. And I think, um, you know, get the four best teams in there would be my opinion. But, you know, I know how this works. I know they have a formula of the system. And, uh, you know, when you do have a zero in the loss column, you're probably going to get in if you're a Power 5 school. Maybe even if you're not a Power 5 school. But let's, let's move on to... Uh, some of these matchups, maybe the matchup of the weekend here, J.D. Yeah, man, 100% we will. But, Trey, that's a tremendous thought process and a tremendous tremendous uh, thing to watch here as we move into this big-time rivalry weekend slate with a little sunshine showdown. Some uh, some Desmond Ritter strays in the chat here. You hate to see it. Hate to see it, but nonetheless, we press on. Uh, enormous game this weekend in Ann Arbor. We've already given you our prediction for it, given you our preview for it. So if you haven't yet watched that, would encourage you to do so. After you watch this video or this live segment, make sure you subscribe. We appreciate y'all so much in advance for doing so. But when it comes to the game, there is so much passion and so much emotion and so many storylines on the outside of this thing heading into this one, as there always is with a rivalry game, but especially Michigan-Ohio State. Like, there's going to be some extra juice on the back end of this thing. There's going to be some aftermath that we got to kind of unpack together when it comes to this game. So what I want to do right now is for us to sort of unpack each result an Ohio State win or a Michigan win and sort of get ahead of this conversation for what's maybe real what shouldn't be talked about what's overreactionary when it comes to how this game could look so let's start with what we predicted and Ohio State fans y'all appreciated that we predicted this one because we've been ice cold on picking your Buckeyes this week and we don't or this year rather and we don't back down from it but let's say Ohio State does lose its football game because I think that's the scenario that could be the most doomsday-ish and have the most overreaction thought around it there's going to be people, if Ohio State loses the third one in a row, Ryan Day loses his third in a row against Michigan, that say, you know what? Ryan Day is not our guy. We're out on Ryan Day selling our stock. I want him out. For those that watch college football, for those that know what Ryan Day has done to this point, that is absolute ridiculousness. My man is 54-6 and six as a head coach. 54 and 6. You can say what you want about being born on third base. You still have to drive the car after you get handed the keys to a Ferrari. Like we've seen other operations have, you know, just as much handed to them and drive it into the ground. There's something to be said for keeping something at cruising altitude. So I would also ask this if you don't think Ryan Day is the guy to get you over the hump with a 54 and 6 record, who do you want to go get? You want to go grab Urban Meyer off the big noon set? I don't blame you. I'm sure that would be tremendous, but like assuming that's not a reality, who are you going to go get? I don't think there's somebody better than Ryan Day right now to be the guy at Ohio State. And the thing that I would say too is we shouldn't just discount the fit that Ryan Day is at Ohio State. Like, especially in college football, it takes a little something extra to be the head coach, to be the right head coach at your university. And having the right guy and the right fit that gets what you're, what you're, school what what your fan base what your program is all about you can't overstate the importance of that because we're seeing now at different places guys that maybe we question are a fit or aren't a fit that that has a tremendous ripple effect like Lincoln Riley is the most obvious one right now there are people questioning hey is he a fit for the head coach at USC is LA the right spot for him is USC the right spot for him I don't know I'm not here to tell you it's not we talk about that with Jake Olson tomorrow actually on the show so tune in but like that's something we're questioning. They're questioning the fit. You never question the fit with Ryan Day. You question, can he beat Michigan? 
You question, can you do that consistently? Because that's the standard. But to understand what Ohio State's about, Ryan Day gets that to a T. Jimbo Fisher wasn't the fit at A&M. Tremendous resume, could recruit the heck out of a class, wasn't the fit at A&M. It is what it is. Now, Steve Sarkeesian, he's a fit at Texas. He is the right amount of, I think, star power for a place like Austin. He knows how to recruit in-state. He has the right emphasis on culture. Like, all those things make for Steve Sarkeesian being a fit at Texas. Ryan Day, make no mistake about it, he is a fit at Ohio State. Look at the guys he's developed and put in the NFL. Look at the way they've recruited. Ryan Day is a fit at Ohio State. Say what you want about third base, he is a fit. So to say that if they lose this game, he should be fired, he should be on the hot seat, it's all overreactionary. Don't listen to it. It'll eventually subside, and we'll get back to this game next year, and we'll have that same conversation, and if Ryan Day can get it done or not, again, if they lose that game. Now, on the other side of things, if Michigan loses this game, the optics will be what they are, man. Like, there will be a lot of talk around sign stealing and a lot of question marks around the last couple of years, probably a lot of forgiveness for Ryan Day saying, well, hey, they cheated the last two years, and that's why they won, and, like, that's going to be a talking point. Is it fair or not? I don't know. We'll talk about that and our thoughts on that here in a second. But there's also, I would say, a fair amount of people, if Michigan wins this football game, that will say, ah, well, it proves nothing. They still cheated the last two years. So let's kind of take that with a grain of salt. But the more important, I think, talking point here is going to be the Michigan faithful saying, well, we lost this game because Jim Harbaugh wasn't on the sideline. That's what people will say. Now, we can probably deduce how this game goes from an eye test perspective, if it would matter. If Michigan gets blown out by three touchdowns, doesn't matter who you got coached in the game, all right? They were the better team on that day. But my pushback on the, well, he wasn't on the sideline, so that's why we lost, thought would be, well, one, like, is Jim Harbaugh throwing a pass? Is Jim Harbaugh rushing the passer? Is Jim Harbaugh stopping the run? It's a big deal to have your coach on the sideline, but just what we said about the sign stealing stuff, you still got to play ball. If it works in your favor with the sign stealing for Michigan and that and kind of defending that whole process and that thought around it, it's got to work the other way when you don't have your head guy on the sideline. You still got to play football. Now, there will be some big calls to be had in this game, you would imagine, for Sharon Moore, but the impact of it to say it's why you win or lose a football game, I have a hard time 100% getting behind that because also they've done it without him to this point in the year. And there's people in pockets of Michigan, you know, conversations saying, well, They've already done it without Jim Harbaugh at this point in the year. doesn't matter. You can't say it doesn't matter going into the game and then after the game say, well, we didn't have our head coach. So we got to kind of pick a side here. And if you're on the Jim Harbaugh isn't there, so that's why we're going to lose train, ride that thing all the way to the other side. But I don't think it's a thing where you can make that the, the excuse or the talking point after the game. Because I would also say, well, we took the suspension, did we not, if we're Michigan? Like we said, okay, that's the punishment. We don't want to fight back anymore for reasons that, you know, maybe we'll uh, discuss on another show at some point when we get more information, but like they took the suspension. So you can't say we were suspended for the wrong reasons. We should have been on the sideline and then be upset and call that the, the talking point and be that the, the excuse if you end up losing this football game. So that's how we feel about that. The optics would be what they are. I'm not here to talk about science stealing. I just think the Harbaugh thing, if that's your excuse, uh, I would push back on that if I'm an Ohio State fan. Now, Ohio State, man, this is, where, this is where it gets good. If you beat Michigan this year and Ryan Day is able to exercise the last couple of seasons and the last couple of games against Michigan, I think we got to change the way we talk about Ryan Day. Because we talk about Ryan Day as being one of the best coaches in college football and his win percentage and all that. That's true. I think we got to talk about him as being one of the best program builders in college football. Because what it would mean is Ryan Day adapted his philosophy 
changed his way of doing things at Ohio State from one year to the next, adopted his philosophy to his roster, and was able to then reinvent themselves, climb up the mountain, and conquer what they weren't able to conquer previously. In short, Ryan Day adapted. All the best coaches in the country, all the best minds in college football, Saban, Smart, they adapt. And not to dunk on Lincoln Riley here, but we're seeing right now Lincoln Riley refusing to adapt and having issues and struggling because of it on the defensive side of the ball. Ryan Day, we forget, like, there was a point in time where their defense had real issues. Last year, they had some issues, but I mean, even the year before that, they were getting gashed by Oregon. So what does Ryan Day do? He doesn't say, well, let's see how this plays out. Well, I'm just an offensive guy. He doesn't just, you know, hide on his side of the ball. He says, you know what? We got issues. I'm going to go get the best defensive coordinator I can find in Jim Knowles from Oklahoma State. We're going to bring him in, and we're going to be better on defense. And they were better on defense last year. They're even better from the year before this year. He's adapting, and it's paying dividends. And if it pays the ultimate dividend this season, again, I think you got to put Ryan Day right up there right up there with all the best in the game. You already do right now, but I think even higher on that list is where I'd put Ryan Day should they find a way to get it done against Michigan. I would also say this. Whenever you adapt, whenever you kind of get the recipe right the first time, it's a lot easier to get it right the next time. So I think we would feel a little bit different about Ryan Day being the head coach for years to come at Ohio State and the success they could have saying, okay, they can win whatever roster they get. Like, going into the season, it was, well, there's no C.J. Stroud. We'll see how they look. That was how I felt, at least. I felt like they were really good, but I was wondering about Kyle McCord. I still wonder about Kyle McCord. But if they get it done, I don't question the recipe because the recipe's been proven. It might take some time to get it right every single year, but it just it, it creates this thought and kind of illuminates us that, hey, Ryan Day, even though he's an offensive guy, they can win in multiple ways. They can beat Michigan regardless of who they have on their roster because Ryan Day knows how to put together different recipes. So if they win, the conversation around Ryan Day better be just as loud as if they lose. I want to make sure we have that on, uh, on the record there. Now, Michigan, if they win, there should be a lot of apologies for the slander of Jim Harbaugh and the job that he's done there being totally just due to the way that they've you know, cheated and what went wrong with Connor Stallions. Like, we're not here to defend Connor Stallions. We're not here to defend cheating. If he had cheated, that's wrong. If it helped them, that's an advantage, 100%. But again, we get stuck on this thought that if you cheated by having signs or, or by, by stealing signs and doing the whole sign stealing thing, I have a difficult time just pinning that 100% as the reason why Michigan was so good the last couple of seasons. If they beat Ohio State this week, I think you can kind of drop the mic and say, okay, all right, yeah, actually, maybe it is the double-digit NFL players. Maybe it is the way that Jim Harbaugh built this thing. And Trey and I were talking about this very same thing before the show and I thought Trey brought up a tremendous point. We'll talk about it here in a second with him. Like, how does that make you feel about Jim Harbaugh and his future at Michigan? Because, I mean, I've, I've heard this point a couple different places, but like Jim Harbaugh being able to be off the sideline, his team still be dominant and still beat Ohio State. How much he's built it up, that thing is essentially running itself. If I'm a Michigan fan, my feeling would be I would hate for Jim Harbaugh to leave. But if he does leave, we got Sharon Moore running the show. Yeah, there's a sense of like, hey, we still probably got to see a little bit more proof of concept to feel amazing about it. But you would feel a lot better by winning this game with no Jim Harbaugh, with his system in place, with a system that Sharon Moore is going to continue to keep in place than if you lose and he ends up going to the NFL next year anyway. Like that's, I think, a very interesting conversation that we're going to have here in a minute. But like at the end of the day, there should be a ton of credit to Jim Harbaugh if they win this game because... To be clear, they have always, everybody that's on this roster right now, to the best of my knowledge, was recruited in a class that was ranked behind Ohio State. 
Okay, since 2020, they've been behind Ohio State on the recruiting trail. And so if they beat them for the third year in a row, what does that say about the development at Michigan and the way they've developed that roster? Heck, what does it say about the culture to endure all the weird circumstances that they've had this year? I think it would speak volumes to the coach Jim Harbaugh is, would speak volumes to the culture they have, and it would just, I think, hopefully silence all the sign-stealing nonsense about, well, that was why they won, because we never bought into that. I know it probably is going to be a thing where there's a portion of the crowd that's just going to you know, die on that hill, and that's fine, but I think this game would hopefully be a little bit of proof in the pudding for, uh, for Michigan. And if, if they lose, if Michigan does lose, I understand you're going to point back to the sign stealing, and that's fine. Every right to do that, and uh, it'll be something to talk about. Again, the aftermath of this game, there'll be a lot to unpack, but I cannot wait for it. Cannot wait for us to finally get some answers and to unpack some of that aftermath. And also get a gauge for the college football playoff, hopefully, based on one of those teams potentially winning the Big Ten. Trey, I mentioned to you in that segment, like, very interesting, very interesting thought of, okay, well, if we beat Ohio State without Jim Harbaugh, if we're Michigan, the thought would then be, I think, a little bit more security. And yeah, we'd hate to see him go, hate to see him be in the NFL, but I think we're okay. But I think we have a formula here that we can work with. What do you think about that? Because you brought that up. I thought it was on the money. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words there, J.D., but, uh, you know, the guy that usually sits in this chair, Nick Brake, big movie fan. He's a mm -hmm. movie stan, you might call him, and, um, you know, sometimes you see movies, they do their regular trailer, and every now and then, this time of the year particularly, you see an extended trailer. You get, uh, you know, an extra cut. Wow. I think that's what we've seen this year with Michigan. I mean, we've seen, you know, not one, not two, three. I mean, we've seen Michigan without Jim Harbaugh multiple times against multiple schemes on the road, at home. If I'm a Michigan fan, I feel comfortable with just about anybody at the helm. And, you know, it's crazy to look at, at this locker room. I think they might be the only ones that have no idea this stuff's going on right now because they're unaffected. Didn't look amazing this weekend. You know, maybe they're looking ahead to Ohio State. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe some of that is uh, the, the Stein stealing, the Jim Harbaugh stuff is affecting this team a little bit at least. But, you know, if you're Michigan right now, if you're Sharon Moore in prime position to take this program over, if Jim Harbaugh was not to be the head coach any longer, I, you know, I don't think there's a, a, a need to worry now. You know, what does it look like in five years hmm. when the recruiting catches up? You know, when you're not defeating Ohio State two, maybe three times in a row. Sure. You don't have this kind of roster because you don't have Jim Harbaugh to go out and get a guy like J.J. McCarthy or a guy like Jaden Daniels or, uh, or Jaden Davis, excuse me, or, you know, whoever that might be. But, um, you know, at this point, J.D., I think if you're a Michigan fan, you've seen that extended trailer, and I think you feel pretty good about it. All that's to be said, if Jim Harbaugh were to, for some reason, not be the guy next year for Michigan, that is a 30-second head coaching search in Ann Arbor, or however long it takes to walk down the hall and say, hey, Sharon Moore, you're actually the head coach now. Like, there, there's no national search. There's no, we're going to go talk to this guy, that guy, this coordinator, this head coach. Like, it's Sharon Moore no matter what, draft day style. Look, Sharon you know Moore even wants it. I mean, this guy has put himself in such a good position. You know, maybe he has even higher aspirations, but shoot, man, this is his job if he wants it, J.D. Has to be. Has to be, man. I'm, I'm excited to see. Here's the thing. Uh, you mentioned the extended trailer. We could get an extended uh, cut of the postgame interviews from Sharon Moore because the, the emotion after the Penn State win, like, that was Penn State. If you go beat the rival, like, I'm excited to see what that looks like if they do it in Ann Arbor over, you know, the team that they want to be. Be good. Be good stuff. Be, be, be good theater, if you will. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what I'm saying? and on the other side of that coin, J.D., because you said something that I wholeheartedly agree with, and I don't think enough people are talking about Ryan Day. If he mm. wins this game, I mean, 
let's keep that energy. I think that phrase is, uh, you know, tossed around a lot nowadays. But, um, you know, this is a guy that has coached in a national championship game. And I don't have the number prepared here, J.D. How many active head coaches have coached for a national championship? Five, you know, maybe six. It's a Mac small Brown. List. It's a small list. Save, I mean, Jimbo Fisher, no one. You know, it's sure. This is a guy that has played, coached for a national championship within this decade. He hasn't beat Michigan the last two years, but, you know, to kind of compare it, and I hate to bring up, uh, you know, Clemson again here. I think this is maybe the million time this show, but following that program growing up, you know, Dabo Sweeney lost to South Carolina five times in a row. And I think mm. you sit there and you say, well, you know, J.D., that's the most important thing for this program. We got to beat our in-state rival South Carolina. But then you zoom out. You know, when you look at the potential of this program, the classes that they were getting at that time, the seasons that they were putting together, you know, top five win over Florida State, top five win over Virginia Tech, the final year they lose to, uh, to South Carolina year, that year. The next year, they're in a BCS bowl game. The year after that, you know, they're in the college football playoff. Then they're winning CFP national championships. This is a guy that I think a lot of fans maybe would have moved on from because he had lost five straight games to the rival. And while that's not good, uh, you know, you look at the bigger picture here. You look at Ryan Day's bigger picture. This is a guy that's already coached in a national championship yeah. game before losing twice in a row to Michigan. Um, we know what's capable of this program under Ryan Day's leadership. Uh, you know, our, our own Urban Meyer, uh, a program coming out later today on our channel as well here. He highlights often on that show how much this rivalry game not just means, you know, to, to college football, but to the state of Ohio, to the people that, you know, have to really be in the thick of this rivalry. It's important, 100%. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, a guy like Ryan Day, that can take you to a national championship. That can take you to, you know, the playoff year after year, expanded playoffs starting next year as well. Um, yeah, I just, I don't think that there's anybody uh, even remotely close. And, you know, Brian Hartline, Obviously, you need good coordinators to make sure, all this possible, sure. and maybe he is the guy that Ohio State fans would immediately point to and say, blank check, let's move on, this is our guy, if he was willing to do that. But uh, like you said, J.D., who are you going to turn to? Because Ryan Day is one of those five, six head coaches that has coached for national championship, and while he's lost twice in a row to Michigan here, I think he deserves a little bit more credit. Let's just not – college football is, is the best sport on earth. But it feels like with the transfer portal and with, you know, the way that you can go out and just change your roster so drastically and go and get the best staff and the resources, like, there's the least amount of patience, I think, than, than any other sport. Like, we expect results right away. And so Ryan Day lost the last couple of years. Yeah, not ideal. You hate to see that, especially if you're an Ohio State fan. But at the exact same time, you were a field goal away from beating Georgia and probably playing and winning a national championship in Los Angeles. So, I mean, I think I'm with you, Trey. I, I, I really do believe there is nobody better for the job than Ryan Day. And if, if they do win, like let's, let's keep that same volume around what we we're going to say about him being not the guy. Like, okay, well, then let's buy into what he did do because he did it with and no knock on Kyle McCord. Like, he's not Justin Fields. He's, he's not Dwayne Haskins. He's not C.J. Stroud. Like, you know, so I think that would have to be talked about. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, and a friend of the program, their program as well, yeah, Ryan yeah. Day. Yeah, uh, exactly, yeah. It. But uh, how about a team that's trying to three-peat, J.D.? Let's do it, man. Yeah, let's get into what's, uh, what's good with the, uh, the good folks in Athens, Georgia. Folks, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure you get in the chat here. We got this segment, and then we're going to get to some of y'all's thoughts and questions, concerns 
around the college football landscape here before we jump into our Thanksgiving show tomorrow. Tomorrow, there will not be a question and answer period of the show as it is premiered you know, on the, uh, on the show itself. So we're not going to be live. We'll still have the show going on for you at the exact same time. If you have a question we don't get to, I'll be doing a question and answer today on my Instagram page. So at JD Pacquel, follow me there. Going to throw up the question sticker as soon as we get off the air up here. Usually do that on Fridays. We'll do it today on Wednesdays since we don't have that, uh, that question and answer period tomorrow. And we got a lot of ball being played on Friday. So follow me there. Get at me there. And we'll, uh, we'll chop it up and have a good time. As Trey just alluded to, Georgia's trying to three-peat. They're going for a third in a row. They've had a lot of success, too. They're undefeated, number one team in the country. Been rolling the last couple of weeks. The spot gets bigger and they get better. Rolled through Ole Miss, rolled through Tennessee, Missouri even before both those teams. So what is the pulse right now internally and the fan base as well in Athens, Georgia for the Georgia Bulldogs? We'll talk about it right now. Again, make sure you're subscribed. We appreciate y'all so much for being dialed in. Hey, just the same way that Georgia is throttling towards three national titles, we are throttling towards 200K subscribers. So Georgia Bulldog faithful, we appreciate y'all being a part of this. Subscribe here, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Pacquel. We appreciate y'all so much for that. So you talk about the success and you talk about what Georgia's done. You talk about, you know, all of the, the things that are ahead of Georgia. And it's hard to not feel a little bit like, well, is Georgia getting complacent? Is Georgia resting on their laurels? Does the new pieces here at Georgia, do they get it? Are they all the way bought in? Are they, are they the same standard of, of, you know, focus that we've seen from this team in the past? And I think from what we've seen from this team and from what we've seen on the field and from what we've heard behind closed doors from different things we've been exposed to from Kirby Smart's, you know, halftime speeches, that cinematic recap this past weekend of the Tennessee game from the Georgia creative team, like Georgia, in my mind, the pulse of the program there is attack mode. And what I mean by that is Georgia is in no way, shape or form taking their foot off the gas. And there's a couple of reasons to that. The first of which being, a lot of the new pieces here, Kirby Smart's done a tremendous job of communicating to them, hey, you don't inherit anything. The rings that you have on your finger, those are because you were a backup. You didn't earn those in the same way that some of those guys before you earned those. The guys that upheld the standard, the guys that got this G to where it's supposed to be, to where we expect it to be. And to be clear, Georgia, in terms of returning production going into the season, they were 80th in the country. 70% was back on defense. Right around half was back on offense. So what does that tell us? You had a lot of guys now that Kirby Smart was telling you have to earn it. And the reason why I say they're in attack mode is, one, because of what I just said. New guys trying to earn it. We'll talk about that more. But also just the overall temperament that Kirby Smart refuses to not allow this team to have. Like, you heard that cinematic recap. And Kirby Smart is shouting. And all these, all these players are shouting, nobody's safe talking about the team on the other sideline. Nobody's safe. People are saying, well, you know, Georgia, they they got a bullseye on their back. People are trying to take down the dogs. And Kirby Smart, every time someone brings that notion to him, he, he kind of flips it around and says, no, no, no. We won't be hunted. We are hunting at the University of Georgia. We are the enforcers. We are, you know, we're the top dog. And we're not trying to keep anything. We're trying to go after everybody. And what I would say is there is nobody better than setting standards currently in college football and nobody better than getting their team focused and, and engineered to believe a certain thing than Kirby Smart. Because we talked to Darnell Washington last year, the national championship game, and you heard this in other interviews from different players, but we got it with Darnell Washington. Uh, we asked him, like, hey, why, why are y'all so good? 
is basically what we asked him. Hey, when, when things kind of get crazy for y'all in that fourth quarter against Ohio State, it's back and forth. Why were y'all able to do what you did and finish that game that way? And he very clearly, almost as if it was rehearsed, as, it, as if it was written on a wall somewhere, maybe on a t-shirt somewhere. I'm imagining behind closed doors in Athens. He said, we fall back on our traits. We fall back on who we are as a team. That was true then. I believe it's just as true right now. And there's that traits, that's one. So that's who they are internally. And I think there's a lot of things you could describe them as, which is attacking, aggressive, physical, I mean, full speed every play, the way that Brock Bowers and his catapult numbers, from what I'm told, are just the same, whether it's practice or whether it's a game. So that's that's freakish one for Brock Bowers too. I don't think that's a wild you know, disparity when it comes to the way that Georgia practices. I'm not saying everyone has Brock Bowers numbers, but I am saying they are full speed all the time. They're doing physical practices and bloody Tuesday during the week. They're beating the heck out of each other. Like that is just the identity of who they are. They're that way behind closed doors. They're that way on the field. Now, also, I think Kirby Smart does a tremendous job fueling this team with the right amount of external juice because we know the internal standard. But I think the way that he takes the outside noise and kind of serves it up on a platter in just the right way, and I can't prove this, but this is the way that I feel, I think they have this feeling of, well, nobody really thinks we're that good. Nobody really thinks that y'all are this. Nobody's really picking y'all to do that. Hey, you haven't done anything yet. There's that great Kobe Bryant interview. Rest in peace. Kobe Bryant's asked after, I believe it was an NBA Finals game two. I said, hey, you're up 2-0. How do you feel? You don't don't look like you're smiling too much. He goes, job's not finished. What's there to be happy about? That's the same, I think, temperament Kirby Smart is implementing into this team. Job's not finished. We haven't done nothing yet. You're undefeated. You want to think think that you're you're all this, you're all that. You're going to go play Bama in Atlanta in a couple of weeks. And they cannot wait to get their shot at y'all. They cannot wait. You, you want to celebrate right now? You want to think you're all that? I don't think Kirby Smart's allowing any of that. So the reason why that's so dangerous is you can message anything like that. I mean, you can say whatever you want as a head coach. But if your players take to it is the real question. The thing with Kirby Smart, he has created a process and created an operation in Athens, Georgia, to where the results speak for themselves. The buy-in itself should be there because of what the results are. Like, it's much easier for me to buy into a, to a team mantra and a process and a way of doing things when we've won two national championships as opposed to if we've, we've you know, struggled to make bowl games the last couple of years. Like, which one am I going to buy into? Which, which coach am I going to listen to and just kind of take at face value? I promise you it's Kirby Smart and what they've done there. So at this point now, the, the brand is almost running itself to a degree. Now, don't get it twisted. The, the internal leadership and the leadership within that staff is pushing it up the hill. But to just, to just dismiss the, the thought process that Kirby Smart, I think, is pushing towards these guys and, and the fact that they have that chip on their shoulder, I think, the way they look for it, that's dangerous. So why do they get better? Why does Georgia get better every single week, it feels like? Because I think they challenge themselves internally because they do that bloody Tuesday because they have that standard. So as a whole, man, what's the, what's the pulse for Georgia? Attack mode. There is no, we're trying to keep the crown. There is no, we're trying to go for three. It is this team trying to go for one. It is this new group at different, I mean, important positions at OC, at a quarterback, like these new pieces trying to push it up the hill and earn their part of it. They talk about eating off the floor. They're all eating off the floor right now, trying to find themselves back in that national title spot. But as long as they stay in attack mode, uh, I will be nervous if I'm the rest of college football. So for Georgia, Attack mode is the pulse. 
It's going to be that way all the way through the tape for the dogs. Truly believe that. Trey, what do you think, man? Georgia's rolling. Feels like they're dangerous, just as they always are. But it feels like there is there is a uh, a very real chase factor to to the way that they play. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't think Georgia is in any way, shape, or form a complacent football team, and that's scary because they're so talented. Anytime you take away the complacency and you just go back to talent and you go to strong culture, like, what are your thoughts on Georgia there, Trey? Georgia is such an interesting team, JD, because I think at times. They're almost underrated. Hmm. At times, you know, maybe we're talking about them a little bit too favorably. I think as a whole, you look at this body of work, this is the most dominant team in college football this year. And, you know, we talked about that CFP poll early on. What's the criteria? You know, how are they doing this? I think from the jump, Georgia should have been your number one team. You don't want to look at the last two years, and this is a different set of people on this committee than the ones that made the poll last year that determined the playoff. You don't want to look to Georgia's national championships to determine what they are this year, because like you said, Kirby's going to iterate that to the locker room every day. You guys haven't earned that. Mm. That was last year. That was the year before. And while there's some roster turnover, this is a much different team. Uh, But at the end of the day, J.D., I think that this Georgia team is so special because they understand that maybe they don't have that element of dominance that these others had. They're not quite the same up front. They're very dominant up front, don't get me wrong. But, you know, they aren't the Georgia of 2022. They aren't the Georgia of 2021. This is a unique team, and I think this year in general we've seen great parity. Alabama is not typically what Alabama is. You know, you look around the the rest of the SEC. LSU severely has fallen off. You know, we're seeing certain ACC teams rise. The Pac-12 is back in the, you know, what's their truly final season here. Uh, But, J.D., what is Georgia? I think at the end of the day, you know, you got to keep it simple until they show you something else. This is the best team in the country. And, um, you know, I, I heard a good point on the Andy Staples show earlier this week. I don't know if Alabama is necessarily the, the matchup that uh, threatens them as much as other teams. I mean, Alabama is going to have to throw the ball to beat Georgia. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that at a high enough clip. Obviously, Jalen Milrow has come on. Uh, but, you know, I, I think matchup-wise, that's probably on paper the best roster you're going to face. I don't think that's the hardest matchup you face. And after that... Uh, you know, you're in the playoff, you're in the national championship game. You know, I don't want to say it's going to look like last year against TCU, but I think you you find yourselves in one or two favorable matchups here in the playoff, if you can get there, if you can get past Bama. And shoot, J.D., I, you know, I don't want to get too far off track here, but uh, I think they probably make it either way, um, you know, if they wrap it up against Georgia Tech this weekend. Hmm, what are your thoughts there? Let's say they lose to Alabama in the SEC title game. Obviously, a lot uh, other games are going to unfold here and determine a lot of this. But do you think that the committee is going to be almost dead set on putting Georgia into the playoff if they're undefeated heading to Atlanta? If they're undefeated heading to Atlanta, I'm just I think there's so much that could happen with Florida State being undefeated and Washington being undefeated and potentially a, a Big Ten champion being undefeated. Like, I think the spots kind of fill up quickly. And if, if Georgia's on the outside looking in, I wonder if if Oregon or I guess we have the Pac-12 champion undefeated at this point. I worry a little bit about Georgia controlling their own destiny if they lose that game in the in the SEC championship. I think a one-loss Georgia will be worried. I really do. I see where you're coming from because the eye test, but I just I would be uh, I'd be curious to see where that would fall because I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of ambiguity there, if you will, Trey. Uh, we got one ad read here. What do you say we get to some questions? Sound good, Trey? That sounds phenomenal. Let's do it, man. Let's absolutely do it. Well, I'd like to tell y'all that the game time. I'll, I'll restart that because that was a, a horrible uh, intro into that. Uh, game time is bringing you all the hard count today. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Rivalry weekend. A lot of big time games. 
If you haven't been to a game just yet this season, this is your last opportunity before a bowl game, so your last time to go see your team at the Big House, the last time to go see Auburn at Jordan-Hare. If you want to be at the game, game time is the best way to help you do that. The reason why? Obsessed with helping you save money. So there's not a thing where you're going to find a better deal on a better ticket in a certain row you want to sit in. Because if you find a row or a seat in the same row or section for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's crucial. That's big money move. Save money with game time. We appreciate them making that happen. Also, you can wait right up to the day of the event. They have tickets on everything from concerts to comedy events, college football games, most specifically for our audience. You can wait right up till the morning of the game, noon kick, don't worry about it. Buy a ticket at 9 a.m. You're good to go with two tabs using the Game Time app and you will be there. Also really, really important, uh, no way that you're gonna find a seat that you don't enjoy because you can see the view from the seat when you purchase via the Game Time app. So download tickets without the stress, buy tickets without the stress rather, with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account. This is important now. Use code HARDCOUNT for $20 off your first purchase. So $50 ticket, you're a first-time user, redeem code HARDCOUNT, $20 off, bam, $30 ticket. Stealing. So terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code HARDCOUNT, that's H-A-R-D-C-O-U-N-T, for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. All right, Big Trey. Let's, uh, let's go see what the people are saying here in the live chat, man. What do we got going on with uh, the folks in the chat? Anything worth, uh, worth unpacking when it comes to scenarios? Any questions? What's, uh, what's the latest buzz right now in the, uh, in the chat? Yeah, it's been a great chat today. And a uh, big shout out to everybody that does get in these comments, that asks questions, that answers these questions. It's just fun to see uh, you know, the full landscape of college football here. A lot of Georgia talk. Uh, seeing a lot of Michigan talk as well here. I don't see any questions specifically just yet. So, guys, uh, be sure to get those in here. I'll ask you one, JD. Yeah. What, uh, you know, outside of the game, because obviously that one is going to have the most attention on it this weekend, which of these rivalry games are you going to pay the most close attention to this weekend? Man, you know, Florida State, Florida, for the impact that would have on either side. If Florida wins that game, they're bowling. Also, the approval rating for Billy Napier, it's kind of been all over the place. I think it skyrockets if they beat Florida State. Then Florida State, they're going in there with their playoff hopes very much so intact. But you're playing a backup quarterback for his first, you know, real action in the swamp. Like, that's going to be a, a treacherous path to, to jump into there, Trey. So the impact of that one, I think, is so massive. That's one to watch. And also, talk about getting weird. We have a, we have a segment tomorrow with Andy Staples, so I don't want to give it away too much. But things could get weird in the Nebraska-Iowa game. I mean, a lot of families on Thanksgiving are feeding their family well because of the Iowa unders. Anytime you're playing with, you know, a low-scoring team, field position, a lot of punts, you're at Nebraska, Nebraska fighting for bowl eligibility. Iowa already punched their ticket to the Big Ten Championship game. Like, you just, you wonder where the psyches are at for both sides and how weird that could be. Nebraska, Iowa also one to watch in the Heroes game there. Jonah Hall, a holiday-themed question here. What's going to be your first dinner plate tomorrow, Ooh. J.D.? That's a good one. I want to hear your answer after this, too. Uh, hey, folks, real quick, we're about 10 likes away from 100. Got a tradition of 100 likes before we get off the air. If we could have everybody just hit that thumbs up button under the video, we'd be well over 100, and we'd appreciate y'all tremendously for that. Um, you know what, Trey? I'm a big stuffing fan. And in this particular day of the year, I think we're going to go heavy on the carbs. So we're going to go heavy stuffing. We're going to go heavy mac and cheese. Um, I would love to, to get on the ham action as well. 
And then we'll throw some turkey on there for tradition. I think turkey Damn. is kind of a hot button for a lot of people when it comes to Thanksgiving. Doesn't have the most flavor, but what what are you doing here, Trey, when it comes to the uh, the old turkey and uh, the plate when it comes to that first one? Well, it's just, I mean, that threw me way off there, Kitty. Ham. A little is, ham uh, action. The primary yep. protein. Wow. The triple option of Thanksgiving, if you will. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's tough, and I'm interested to, to hear how your family typically does uh, their turkey on Thanksgiving, but uh, I think I'm going to go with the turkey itself. My uncle, Chris, uh, fries the turkey every year, and if you guys haven't had fried turkey, I know it's kind of the more popular, trendy way to do it nowadays, so maybe you have, but... Um, I mean, just the juiciness, the, the flavor in the turkey. Ooh. Never had a Cajun one. Heard about the Cajun one this year. But uh, I'm going to go with the turkey. Love the stuffing as well. And um, heavy debate. We live in the South. We're from the South. Mac and cheese is not present at my Thanksgiving, although I don't know if the mac and cheese makes its rounds there. Um, is, that, is that a Southern thing? I think, I think there's debate if mac and cheese should be allowed at the table or not. I would think mac and cheese would be a more Southern thing. No. Am I, am I off base there, Trey? That is, that, that is news to me. That is news to me when it comes to the Thanksgiving uh, conversation. I, thought they, I, thought, I would have thought, in talk of you know, playoff scenarios, I would have thought mac and cheese would be an auto bid. I would have thought like think? undefeated conference champ, one loss conference champ, doesn't matter, mac and cheese is in, in the South. You know? who, who else is making your Thanksgiving playoff here, J.D.? I know stuffing. That's a great question. Stuffing's 1-1. Stuffing probably gets in there as a four seed, to be honest with you. I think turkey has to be in. Like, turkey being in is like an SEC champ they're probably in. And then when it comes to Big Ten play, man, I'm trying to think of, of another, like, heavy hitter when it comes to, Mac and, or when it comes to Thanksgiving. You know what? Uh, this is also a little bit off script. Cinnamon rolls. Not cinnamon rolls, but cinnamon-flavored, like, dinner rolls. Little crescent rolls. I think those are just a can't miss, in my opinion. What about you? You got you got one for us? Well, I, you know, I don't, but I do have to bring up the desserts um, Ooh, because yep. you know I don't. You guys do pie or, or what the go to is for you all at home mm. as well. Uh, the pumpkin pie that that I indulge in on Thanksgiving cannot beat it. They have to make my playoff. I don't know the rest. Maybe stuffing. I'm They're with you there. Maybe yeah. some mashed potatoes. Keep it easy. But uh, I love that pumpkin pie is most certainly. Um, You're so right. Okay, I'm going I'm to switch mine. I'm going to switch apple pie in for, or pumpkin pie either. Okay, we got some pecan. Any pie gets in without, without the rolls. Hey, Trey, what do we say we get one more question in here before we, we uh, make, uh, make our way out of this thing? Let's do it. I saw one about Texas. Um, a little bit more broad here. What is Texas' future? They're moving to the SEC, JD. Let's just start right now. Do they make the playoff, in your opinion? What do they do in the playoff? And what is the future of this program? Maybe the next two years as they enter the SEC. Man, I go back and forth so much on Texas, to be honest with you, Trey. Like, I think midway through the season, I was like, hey, Texas, they're rolling. They're making the playoff. They got the head-to-head. -head. They're going to be in the dance. Quinn Ewers goes down. And I just felt like we saw a different sense of urgency from Texas in those couple of games where they get ahead with Malik Murphy, and then they kind of let teams back in the game. They play with their food. And so, like, my... The stock that I was buying in Texas, I wasn't selling my stock all of it. I was selling portions of it to kind of hedge my bet a little bit. Right now, with Quinn Ewers back and the way they're playing, I'm going to go ahead and just assume that Georgia wins the SEC. And if that happens, I think, I think Texas finds their way in. Like the only, the only interesting thing is where Alabama and Texas get into this, this conversation on, well, who's that one team that finds their way in? And, and Bama beat number one ranked Georgia. Like I think we just avoid all that conversation completely in Texas does find their way into the college football playoff. Um, and then I'll also say when it comes to the SEC, like the great part about this, Trey, is in the future, 
if we go back to our, our history, and, and I think I want to double check here to make sure I'm not wrong in saying this. I believe this time next year, when it comes to Thanksgiving week, on actual Thanksgiving day, we will go back. Let me double check here to make sure I'm right. We will go back to having Texas A&M in Texas. Now, it looks like I'm, well, well let's see here. That's, the date is to be announced, so we'll see. Uh, you would have to believe they'll do Texas, Texas A&M again on Thanksgiving, right? Like, that has to happen. Has to. Has to happen. Classic. Taken from us. I think they're built the right way for the SEC, especially if Quinn Ewers does come back. Sounds like he's 90%. Like, experienced quarterback, should still be good in line of scrimmage, will recruit well, know who they are with the head coach. Like, I think, I think they're actually in good shape. Now, do they win the SEC year one? You know, you still got Bama in there. You still got Georgia in there even though they beat Bama this year. Um, I think they'll be a, an upper-tier team in the, in the SEC to start. What about you? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm excited. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier. Got to see them. Got to see, you know, the makings of what's going to be an uh, excellent roster entering the SEC. And, you know, it's interesting, um, some of these early matchups, Alabama and, and Texas this year. And now, you know, Oklahoma enters the league. Alabama will play them as well. I think Texas is what? Uh, Florida is their, is one of their big matchups. Does Georgia play Texas in their opening Georgia campaign? plays Texas, I believe, uh, yes. Early, I, th- I don't know if, when they play them exactly, but I know that they play them their first year. Yep, we'll get Texas-Georgia. It'll it's, be good, man. It's, I mean, it's just, and it's incredible, not to, you know, sidetrack it here again too much, but you look at just what the schedules are, are going to be around the country with all this realignment. Look at USC's schedule. Take the time, ladies and gentlemen, to Google the USC Trojans schedule for next season. They play LSU to open the season. I think week three is Michigan. They're going to have to play Ohio State. I mean, it's next year, some of these weekends, some of these games. And I know we had some, some deader weekends. None of them were bad weekends of football this year, but... I don't think you're going to have any of those next year. I mean, the slates are incredible. That's the thing I'm most excited for. But I do think, you know, Texas and Oklahoma both enter this league and, um, you know, find early success in this league. And Texas plays Michigan next year, too, for their non-conference. So it's going to, hey, it's going to be some buckle up kind of college football Saturdays, Trey. Like that is, that's the funny part about realignment. I know know we're we're running out of time here. Uh, The funny part about realignment is, we hate when it happens. We hate the losing of rivalries. We hate the tectonic plate shifting, like the ugly part of realignment and the money part of realignment we're not fans of. But when we get to actually having the games, when we see Texas, Georgia, when we see USC, Michigan, like, dude, when, when they actually kick off and they have their first drive and you got, let's say it's, you know, Brock Vandergriff leading the troops down the field for Georgia against Texas, like, dude, that's going to be awesome. That's going to be a lot of fun. This is going to be incredible. Uh, I got one more for you, J.D., because I, I don't love know the it. next time we're going to be able to, to chuck it up on here. But uh, do we have an update on NCAA football, the video game? I know you've kind of oh, had your finger man. on the pulse there, and uh, I haven't heard an update in a minute. It's I haven't heard an update either. But if, if we don't get the game here, like, at this point, I don't care who's in it. Like, we'll download rosters. We'll find a way. <laughs> Put whoever you want in it. There are people out there that have given their lives to making college football the video game as updated as possible since NCAA 14. We got rosters out there. We got a way. Give us the game. Give us a cover. Give us a couple new features. Give us NIL. Give us the transfer portal. Give us a sick road to glory mode. And we're good. Like, I just need an updated version with the graphics and some of the uniforms and some of the other features in college football. Give us the game. We'll handle the rest. Don't worry about it is where I would fall on that, Trey. That's where I would fall. So I, I hope that all the people that make that game are watching, as I'm sure they, they always are. But... uh Hey, Trey, I appreciate you jumping in here, man. 
Jaden, he's absolutely crushing it. So much for having me today. This has been a blast. Thank you, everybody, for, for uh, sticking with us in the comments and tuning in and hitting the like button. Get us to 100 if we're not there yet, J.D. I haven't looked. Blew past it. Oh, Folks, blew go. past it. Well, happy Thanksgiving. As we knew they would. As yeah. we knew they would, but like. We're thankful. Very thankful for him. Hey, thankful for you, man. Thankful for you, J.D. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy holidays, everybody. Appreciate you, J.D. That's the man, the myth, the legend. Trey Yannity jumping in. Again, Nick Brake, high demand. High demand kind of guy. Who can blame him? A lot of people tugging at his shirt these days trying to trying to get him over to do some work for them and we appreciate nick we miss nick nick when you're back brother it's gonna be a good time trey andy stepping in and just absolutely crushing it today giving takes managing the chat punching the show live like i mean dude's the animal couple of just beasts running the show here for on three between nick break and trey andy again we will be on the air tomorrow same time if you think we're not having a show on thanksgiving you're out of your mind we have a show, 11 a.m. Eastern, tomorrow morning. We'll talk some ball. It will not be live, so there will not be a live chat. So to talk some ball after the show, get at me on Instagram, at J.D. Paquel. Again, I'm going to post the question here, or the question and answer uh, sticker here on my page here in just a minute. Bottom line, hey, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. We are so thankful for y'all. There's so much to be thankful for, and uh, we're just, we're grateful. Period, mic drop, the end. So for Trey Anity, for myself, J.D. Paquel, we're going to keep this party rolling. We'll see y'all next time. Happy Thanksgiving.